0: Bruce Shapiro, Contributing Editor with The Nation, Exec Director of the Dart Center for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia. Bruce, I'm just going to get out of the way and let you tell the extraordinary story of Joe Biden's um, secret visit to Ukraine.
1: Oh, or it's a secret trip and quite public visit. Um, look, we're still finding out details now, but in... It has to be said that in the history of the American presidency, uh, Biden's eight-hour train ride... Uh, under cover of darkness, from Poland to Kiev, and his sudden appearance with Volodymyr Zelensky uh, ranks high in in boldness. You have to go back to Abraham Lincoln riding to the front lines of of civil war battles to observe in in Northern Virginia to find an American president who who went into a combat zone not controlled by American troops, uh, very different from, let's say, those occasional lightning visits to Iraq or Afghanistan that George W. Bush and Barack Obama um, would pay. Um, Equally significant doing this uh, on the anniversary of Vladimir Putin's invasion uh, essentially seizing the initiative with a uh, on with anniversary speeches and reaffirming the U.S.'s commitment at a time when actually some Republicans in Congress are beginning to uh, doubt and argue about continuing American commitment. I I think um, will turn out to be a significant historic gesture. Um, You know, all of the issues surrounding um, the war and how deep American and European military commitment should go remain. Um, Biden is still managing a very delicate balancing act, trying to avoid um, unnecessary provocation of Putin by holding back certain weapons, clearly sending the message that um, we, we don't want nuclear war and there's not an intention of direct American boots on the ground or planes in the air. Indeed, one of the reasons that this trip was so extraordinary is that, um, at least if we are to be believed, no American planes entered, uh, Ukrainian airspace. Um, the train, perhaps there were some drones following the train. I'm sure there was, um, some kind of surveillance, but, um, The president was determined not to um, use American power even to protect his own trip in a way that might be seen as provocative. So this is a a very interesting and also moving gesture. He's not the first Western leader to visit. Kiev. Uh, you know, Boris Johnson and other Europeans uh, have made the trip, the eight-hour train trip to the capital. But for an American president, this is an exceptional, bold, um, and I, I think probably consequential visit.
0: Bruce, I'd love to have ease dropped on the, the back channel conversations between uh, Washington and Moscow. Uh,
1: indeed, and there certainly were those. We know from public statements that the uh, that the White House National Security Council staff communicated in, at the last minute uh, the intention of Biden to make this trip to their Russian counterparts, um, st- again, to avoid any possible misunderstandings, et cetera. There may have been, I think we will certainly find out that there's been far more back channel than that. And, and, and look, I think it's fair to say that probably for the last year, there has been a lot of back-channel communication that we will only hear about 25 or 30 years from now as records become declassified. Um, One of the untold backstories of this war clearly is is how uh, technocrats in the East and the West will have managed the... The possibility of escalation and will have managed the interests of their respective bosses um, in this in this terrible war that began with with Putin's initial war crime in invading and uh, which has continued with a cascade of atrocities and war crimes on a daily basis for the last 12 months.
0: A slightly croaky Bruce Shapiro is talking to us from the U.S., and now it's time to reintroduce us to Nikki Haley, the first official Republican rival for Donald and the presidential candidacy.
1: Indeed, we are, you know, now a year out from 2024. Um, Nikki Haley very interesting Republican figure, the former governor of South Carolina, uh, and some listeners may remember her, on the one hand, as as the seemingly moderate traditional Republican pro-businessy kind of governor of South Carolina, who took down the Confederate flag um, after the Charlottesville. Uh, horrible Charlottesville uh, attack on protesters back in uh, 2017, um, but then who swiftly turned around and joined Team Trump and became President Trump's UN ambassador. Um, Haley has is trying to run as what she says is a new generation and is trying to get past the Trump legacy. At this point, I don't think anybody... Um, thinks she's likely to prevail in the primaries against Trump, but there's a long road to go. She really, she's an interesting figure, but she wants it both ways. On the one hand, she is trying to run as the voice of Republican moderation, as old-style pro-business, um moderate republicanism, but on the other hand, she's trying to seize the primary initiative by running against wokeness using all of the code words um that that um uh, uh, speak to the far right of the party. At the same time, she's running as a child of South Asian immigrants and in that sense wants to be that face of a more modern party. Yeah, Um, I find that fascinating.
0: She's the daughter of Punjabi Sikhs, isn't she?
1: She is. And she grew up as as the only Sikh and the only Indian in a small town in South Carolina. Um, She was, you know, reasonably well regarded by the state's business leaders when she was governor. Um, but she also seems to be, if we take her record within the Trump administration to be any guide, she she seems to be a politician without much of a core set of principles. She's shown herself willing to bend with the winds um, in, in pretty impressive ways. And in the current climate, I'm not sure that Any of that is going to work either with a primary electorate or um, in a general election um, where instead of swinging to the right, you got to swing to the left. And yet people want you to have integrity and, and, and it's a very, uh, it's a very messy time for someone like that. But, you know, she, she is. An interesting historical, an interesting national figure. She will be up against not only Trump, but very likely Ron DeSantis from Florida. Well, and that, that raises,
0: it. that Bruce raises the possibility that this is in fact a tilt for the vice presidency, but, but perhaps essentially beside DeSantis.
1: Uh, could be. I mean, that would, um, you know, that would be in line with how she handled her engagement with the Trump presidency, Um, she, you know, wants to be the, the future of the party by any means necessary. That said, it's just not clear that she has a national constituency, um, not clear how she will fare in a Republican primary electorate dominated by the most polarized voices in the party. Um, you know, there's a long way to go here, uh, and we, there's you know, this. In, in primaries, are always unpredictable, um, but in this case, where there are possible indictments hanging over Team Trump and all kinds of other unknowns uh, in the air, it's really an uncertain picture. And in that sense, her early entry um, probably is doing her good. It will, you know. Trump will start to attack her right away. That may, to some extent, immunize her um, from attacks later on. It'll it'll just be interesting.
0: We've only got a couple of minutes, but I'd like to go back to the Supremes. We've been neglecting them a little of late. Tell me about Gonzalez versus Google.
1: Besides the wonderful alliteration, uh, this is a case that's going to be argued in the Supreme Court today and is probably the most consequential event we could be talking about. This is a case about the pro- challenging the protections that internet companies have against the li- against liability for stuff that gets posted. Uh, it was brought in this case against YouTube, against Google and YouTube, um, by the family of someone killed in, uh, in a terrorist attack in France, um, pointing out that Um, there was, you know, related YouTube video that was posted and the company should have done something about it. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act going back into the 90s is what's at stake here. It was a foundation stone of the modern internet insulating American internet companies from any legal liability for stuff published on their platforms. Um, And on the one hand, this was... Portrayed and still often defended as as the sort of libertarian font of innovation on the internet. On the other hand, you know we now have um, years of of fake news of uh, of of all kinds of horrific use of social media um, and. Uh, and a growing number of voices in Congress, Um, both parties are beginning to question, is this okay? The Supreme Court is going to take this up, and the answer, which we'll probably get in June, will really have a lot to do with the future of social media and the future of the Internet as we know it.
0: To be continued. Good on you, Bruce. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.